Please remain there at uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. The title is this morning simply, The Call of Jesus. The Call of Jesus. Interesting that throughout this chapter, there's a number of different things going on that don't really seem to have a particular connection. And then uh, we're not told if this is if these people were present all throughout the chapter. But at some point there in verse 25, there went a great multitude with Jesus and he turned and he said unto them if any man if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yea and his own life also he cannot be my disciple and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, and then verse 38, do not think that I'm come to bring peace on the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Father, we ask for the minister of the Spirit of God upon us that we would hear the word of the Lord. We thank you for the scriptures that have been given to instruct us, to teach us, to correct us, to lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake, have been given to reveal to us Jesus, have been given to give us encouragement. And so we look to you today for the ministry of the word of God to come into the depth of our souls, quickened by the Spirit of God. And this we bless you for in Jesus' name. Amen. You might not have thought about it this week, but all across America, there are churches and pastors looking for ways to boost attendance. And I assure you that the verses we've read this morning will not be their text. One of the chief ways of building attendance in America is to find out what people want, what people like, and give it to them. Uh, Jesus came into a world, this is not a new thing, Jesus came into a world where people were looking for some excitement, they were looking for for some big event, uh, something that could grasp their attention, and I'll tell you there's one thing that could grasp the attention of the Jews will be a deliverer from the Roman oppression. They'd had that terrible experience of Jerusalem being destroyed, and many years later, Jesus comes on the earth, and the Romans are ruling, and the Jews are hoping for someone to deliver them. And so I can imagine when they heard Jesus say, I am not come to bring peace but a sword, they might not have heard anything else because they would have turned that immediately. Maybe this is our deliverer. And we know that there were many who tried to get Jesus to move in that direction. Uh, 
Maybe the days of the yoke of the Roman Empire and their taxes were gone. But the rest of what Jesus said put those hopes to rest. He did not come to bring about political change. Uh, he did not come to uh, bring about a uh, temporal revolution. Uh, he offered no strategy to join in with the Pharisees or the Sadducees and uh, help them up their game. Uh, in fact, they became his greatest enemies when they realized he's not going to join us. And so one day people were, a great number of people were following Jesus. And Jesus makes these profound statements, if any man. And we're not in that crowd, but we're in this crowd. And the Lord is saying this to us. If any man, if any woman, if any young person comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also. Well, you can make a decision and get to heaven, but you won't be my disciple. It didn't say that. That's the modern translation. Churches all over America say, well, that's, you're trying to add works to salvation. No, salvation that God brings works. It transforms. It makes us his disciples. Uh, he doesn't just play games and change us our destiny from hell to heaven and let us continue to live our life the way we want to. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, another place in Luke, he says, Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? I tell you, no, but division. But the angel said, He's the Prince of Peace. That's one of his titles. So, which is it? Peace or division? Harmony or sword? The reality is that Jesus does comfort us, but he also confronts us. He embraces us. He brings us into his family, but he exposes our need. And so when he came the first time, he did not come with a sword to squash the earthly enemies of the world. But those who follow him find that those who reject Jesus will persecute those who follow Jesus, betray them, and even kill them. And so it has been for 2,000 years. So Jesus calls us, follow me. When he calls, it is a call to follow me, to be his disciple. And he divides. Truth divides. So far as building the church, attendance, the message and the method of Jesus is a complete different strategy. He doesn't do anything to stroke our ego. He doesn't do anything to please us. The goal is not to please the crowd. If you were a pastor, or maybe if you were in leadership in a church and you were concerned about 
uh, a had a primary concern about attendance, you would always be thinking, what can we do to bring the crowd back? I better not preach this or that because the crowd won't come back. There's a lot of things. If, if, if you're going to go that route, I assure you as a pastor, there's a lot of, you have to tear most of the Bible out because there's somebody to be a friend to be a, well, maybe not this, but, but this one. I was in a home a few years back and I don't remember the scenario of what it was all about, but in the context, I've known this man for a long time. So I invited him to attend services at Southside. Quickly and bluntly, he said, well, I'll tell you this, if I'm going to attend church this coming Sunday, it will not be Southside. Well, my curiosity went out the roof. Why? Because you are extreme. About what? You speak and write. Found out he reads the newsletters. Who would have thought? <laughs> you speak and write against Mormonism. The Masonic Lodge. Roman Catholicism. That's just a few of the things that people are not happy if you raise a flag about and give a biblical warning. I love to tell the story of Bishop Hugh Latimer. Any of you know it by heart yet? He was lived in the 14-1500s and he was one day preaching at Westminster Abbey. And on this particular day, King Henry VIII was in the congregation. And so Bishop Latimer stood up and preached a sermon. And the sermon he preached greatly offended the king. And so the king ordered Latimer to preach again the next Sunday and to make a public, a public apology for offending the king. So the next week, Bishop Latimer ascended to the pulpit and he began his sermon this way. Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease. But then consider well, Hugh Latimer, dost thou not know from whom thou comest? And upon whose message thou art sent, even by the great and mighty God who is all present and beholdest all thy ways and who is able to cast thy soul into hell. Therefore, take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. Beginning that way, Latimer preached the same sermon again. And it is said that as he began to preach that sermon, loudly in front of all, in front of the king and everyone, he said, Latimer, Latimer, be careful what you say. The king of England is here. And then he said, Latimer, Latimer, 
Be careful what you say, the king of kings is here. You don't have to be a preacher to face those choices. We live in a world, we live in situations, it can be where you work, it can be in your family, it can be wherever, and we're either going to be moved and motivated by heeding the call of the crowd or of someone or of the king of kings. It's serious business. A worship service is not designed to please the crowd or the congregation or the preacher or the musicians or those who give money nor the psychologists who want you to leave certain things off because that's their territory. There's a lot of the New Testament has clear to do with attitudes and actions. And I was told on a number of occasions, that's not your territory, that's ours. You have no business speaking about that. Oh. Then there's pages I'll have to rip out. The worship service is not designed to draw a crowd. The worship service is to faithfully honor God in prayers and songs and hymns and offerings and by the unadulterated teaching and preaching of the word of God. Jesus has not called upon us to put on religious productions. He calls us to faithfulness, to walk in his steps. He calls us to follow him. The call of Jesus is profound and simple, to follow Jesus. So in paths of worship and holiness and purity and love and forgiveness, he calls us to be bold and unashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God unto salvation to those who, be, who believe, Jew or Gentile. He's not calling us to the next big show, the next big production. American Christendom is big on big shows and big productions and... If you don't believe it, just go to Gatlinburg. And the theaters are filled with people brought on buses from churches. That's the great ministry of churches to the older saints. Instead of having a great ministry of the older saints teaching and exhorting and modeling for the younger ones... Well, we've taught Sunday school, we've done this, now it's our retirement time, and so uh, give us a bus, give us a van, and we'll go to Gatlinburg, we'll go to wherever, and is anything wrong in and of itself of doing those kind of things? Does it mean you can never do something like that? But the question is, what is our priority? Jesus tells us, he calls us, especially in the verses that we read, that our master allegiance must be to Christ, to his kingdom, to his work. And if we love whoever more than him, he's not telling us to hate family members, but he puts an emphasis on family members because you and I know, obviously God knows that there's, there's no other people on the earth that has a stronger pull on our loyalty than family. 
Now, there are some exceptions to that because of sin and all of that. But uh, Jesus, what he's condemning here is any and all competing loyalties that are placed in front of him. Nothing, no one must be allowed to compromise our allegiance to Christ. Not even a son or a daughter. Our family must not be used as an excuse to compromise our obedience to God. This is a common problem. And there are things that are happening and people are blind about what's really happening. I received this from a friend uh, back in 2019 and they were so excited this famous, worldwide known, you've never heard of him most likely, I hadn't, uh, United Methodist Bishop, Bishop Wilkie, Richard Wilkie. He is among the conservatives. His discipleship books had been used all over the world, millions of them, teaching people to follow Jesus, teaching the gospel. And he was well respected. And he was a Bible believer. And he subscribed to the Methodist uh, doctrines of faith called some sort of disciplines. And in that, for example, it says the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. The Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church. It's got a whole paragraph there. It is excellent. And that's the essence of it. The practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. That's what he taught. For years. And then he continued to teach it publicly for more years. But something else was going on behind the scenes. In fact, something else kept going on to where he sent a letter to the entire Methodist world being highly upset that there would be people who would want to depart from Methodism if homosexuality was accepted. He goes so far as he was, he was a Bible student. He was a Bible teacher. And uh, he came to a point in his journey where he said, you may be surprised to know that in the big picture of the Bible, and I know the big picture of the Bible. He's a Bible teacher. He's letting you know, Dr. So-and-so, he knows the Bible. Then you will understand how insignificant these few Passages are. What passages? The passages that speak about sexuality. And then he goes on to say, I think it's fairly easy for us to see that sin, that the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah, was not homosexuality, but rather the town people's violent in 
in his in in hosp- they were inhospitable. They were not hospitable <laughs> to the strangers. He takes a passage from Ezekiel out of context to make his point. He claims, quote, that the men of Sodom were only showing violent inhospitality to strangers. Well, here's what the Bible says. Genesis 4.1 Um, in Genesis 19, verses 4 and 5. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compressed the house about, both young and old, with all the people from every quarter, and they called on Lot and said, Where are the men that came into this house, the, the angels? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. It's a Hebrew word from the same as used in Adam knew his wife. Other translations put it this way. That we may have sex with them. That we may have intercourse with them. That we may minister to our lust. One translation says that we may rape them. They were just being inhospitable. There's nothing here about sex. Nothing here about hospital. Uh, homosexuality what happened that this Bible teaching Methodist made such a radical change his daughter came home one day and announced that she was homosexual so all of a sudden he loves his daughter he and his wife love his daughter and they love the word of God and he went into this crisis And he kept compromising, living, first of all, a double life. And the Bible says a man who is double-minded is unstable in all of his ways. And so he would stand and preach and teach what the Bible said and, and what his doctrine required him to say. But then there came a day when he just went with his heart in order to have fellowship with his daughter because after all God made her that way see why are you picking on a Methodist the Baptists do the same thing I have a tender heart for Bible believing Methodists because some of them were used in my journey and I'll always appreciate Colonel Ben Williams who was in our Bible study on Saturdays for such a long time. But more than that, in an evangelical world, you, we're not immune to what's happening in one group. It slides over. The issue was that family became supreme in the position. They, they uh, became excuse for disobedience. Uh, Following Christ means following him above all else, above family. Now, I pray that you won't have the decision to make that they made. But if you do, or if I do, what will we do? It doesn't have to be homosexuality. It can be anything. And we want to please our neighbors. We want to please our family. We want to please whoever. 
and we're sincere. And somehow we think, we, well, I, we can just compromise. They're not going to compromise, but we'll compromise. God will understand. And you start down that road, and you wake up one day, and you haven't just compromised. You've denied the faith. So when we read these verses that Jesus says here, and he turns and says, If any man will come after me and hate not his father and all these people, uh, cannot be my disciple, he meant it. And he chose, and it, this is repeated over and again, the people who are closest to you, are they not the ones you want to please? And I'll guarantee you at some point, every one of us have made that wrong choice. We, we wanted to please so and so and so we compromise. But the word of God comes. And it is a sword. The two-edged sword. Cuts and divides soul and spirit. Pierces the spirit joints and marrow. Cutting away sin and idols. And Jesus is attacking idols this morning. Or potential idols. He calls us to his way. To his truth. To his life. Every time you open the Bible, he's calling us to his way, his truth, his life. It doesn't square well with modern church folk, and certainly not with the lost world. He tells us to take up our crosses daily and follow him. He tells us to crucify the works of the flesh. Paul's grand testimony of himself, I am crucified with Christ. This is central core Christianity. A life of following Jesus. A life of saying no to self and yes to Jesus every time. A life overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit rather than the works of the flesh. We've been spending a lot of time in recent weeks about the various fruit, expressions of the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And, and God is not... He's not stuttering. He's very plain on all of this. What's our response? We're called to be disciples. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're called to be servants. Walking in the steps of Jesus. We're called to be his disciples or his ambassadors. Giving forth the gospel because if he's lifted up he'll draw men to himself very simple message this morning Jesus is calling not the calling of the book that's all in all the Christian bookstores Jesus is calling that's another Jesus the woman who wrote that in the first edition, they've changed it now because there's a ruckus being caused. But she was very plain where she got all of it. She was not happy with the word of God. The word of God was not sufficient. She needed something more. And that's the great cry today. People are not willing to be atheists. They want to be in church. And so the pastors bring out boxes and cases of false doctrine books. And here, have it, have it, here, here. The Jesus of the Bible, his way is narrow. 
The road is narrow. It's not the Broadway. On the Broadway, you can be religious, you can be an atheist, you can be whatever. You're on the Broadway. But it leads to one destruction. The narrow way. Taking Jesus at his word, living by his word. Allowing the voice of Jesus to have supreme place in our life even over family members, even over uh, neighbors or whoever. At the end of the day, whose voice am I heeding? Is it Jesus? Can you say today by the grace of God that you have had a moment in your life where they came, you might not know the place on the calendar, but that you came to a time where the Spirit of God showed you your sin and called you to repentance, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and follow him. It may well be that when you go back to those first memories, you don't remember those particular phrases. But because the Spirit of God worked in your life, and the Spirit of God now dwells within you, and you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, when you read his word, and you find that Jesus says, I'm calling you. I have called you. I call you daily to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Take up your identification with me. That's what it means to take up the cross. To take up dying to yourself and walking in fellowship with Jesus. Is that your testimony this morning? I still remember many years ago being at a Bible conference and at that particular point in time we had had a number of several young adults who had made decisions and had been baptized as children and now they're at a point in their life that they said you know I've never really been born again and they were converted and began to be just glorious and wonderful disciples of Jesus and so I'm sitting there thinking and thinking about all that I went through in my teen years and, and I still remembered uh, the conversion experience when I was 11 or 12. I still remembered being con, uh, convicted of sin. But, but I wondered. I didn't have a testimony like these people. So I was speaking to Mr. Joe Carroll. And he listened to all that. And I thought his words to me were wise. He said, I'm not concerned about what you remember from back there. I have one question for you today, right now. What is your testimony? Who are you trusting? What is your hope of heaven? It's not being a Baptist. It's not being a preacher. It's not remembering all the details or the emotions and the amount of tears I might or might not have cried. The essence of what I shared, and I've, I've found this to be a wonderful haven over and over again. To stand before God and to say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. My hope is in the doing, the dying, the rising of Jesus Christ. That's the only way in. Now you may have been having a difficult time over the last few weeks. You may have made some bad choices. You may have failed miserably and the, the spirit of condemnation is just screaming all about you. 
But be still for a moment. I have a question for you. What is your testimony? Have you heard and are you hearing the call of Jesus? I'm calling you to follow me. Is your testimony... Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. The Spirit of God may be speaking to some of you this very day for that, for that transaction to take place. For you to leave the world of religion and be brought into the kingdom of God. This, this is a work that only God can do. And he speaks through his word and by his spirit. To bring you to a place of total emptiness, of all hope, of anything that you can present to him. And leaves you naked and destitute and saying, like the publican, God be merciful to me a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. Don't go home today until you, by the grace of God, can say, I'm justified by the doing, the dying, the rising of Jesus. He's all my hope and righteousness. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And as a Christian, you sitting here with assurance of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's calling you. He's not asking for our spare weekends. He's calling you. Walk in my steps. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. I'm afraid that would be a miserable life. The life of Jesus was anything but miserable. He was anointed with the oil of gladness above all others. It was anything but boring. Was it at times very painful? Yes. Jesus doesn't hide the false small print. He says they'll treat you the way they treat me. Some loved him, some hated him. Our Father, we thank you for the call you give. You still are calling people to yourself. You're calling uh, believers to a renewal of embracing this call in our lives and you're alerting us to the dangers that lurk on Abraham and especially the dangers that can lurk from family members and people that we love and trust. Oh Father, may we leave from here allowing nothing or no one to take priority over saying yes to Jesus. May we leave here trusting in Jesus, knowing that we are not coming to a throne of works. We're coming to a throne of mercy. And you are here to receive us and to encourage our hearts and to cause us to rejoice in redemption by the blood of the Lamb. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.